0: morning, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm here with Jackie Bangford, and we are going to talk a little bit about her experiences as a freelance writer and veteran who has uh, transitioned out of the military. So welcome, Jackie.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Great. So so glad to have you here, um, here in D.C. Um, in your hometown. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, so... I am a freelance writer and a poet. I um, have been living in D.C. since twenty twelve, originally from North Dakota, and I'm a U.S. Navy veteran.
0: Sorry, not your hometown, but where you it, currently live.
1: My current town. Yes.
0: Great, great. And uh, what branches of the military did you serve in again?
1: I was in the Navy. I was a surface warfare officer.
0: We are here just re-recording a brief section with Jackie. So, Jackie, tell us about your career in the Navy.
2: So my career really started in 2002 when I entered the Naval Academy as a midshipman with the class of 2006. Um, I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in English. It's one of the few places where you can get a Bachelor of Science in English, so I did a lot of um, math and science on top of reading a lot of novels. Um, While I was at the Naval Academy, I had won a scholarship to do a graduate degree in the United Kingdom. Um, so that was actually my first posting after graduating. Uh, I went over to Oxford University and I did a master's
0: in social
2: anthropology. Uh, when I had left, it seemed like the DoD was really interested in getting anthropologists on board. Um, we were in the middle of two wars, and they, you know, and I had this sort of idea: like, I'm going to to fix the war, like bring peace. That didn't happen. Uh, when I got back, they said, you know, you're behind your career path, we need to get you straight to a ship. Um, So, you know, so I went to my first ship. It was at EDG in Everett, Washington. Um, And for most of the time there, I was the first lieutenant. Uh, I was then later the assistant chief engineer, and I also served as the ship's legal officer. I had joined that ship on deployment in Australia Um, And by the end of my time on that ship, I was once again on deployment off the Horn of Africa. Um, So in a bid to get me six months on shore before my next ship was set to deploy, my executive officer arranged for me to transfer while we were actually at sea off the coast of Africa. Um, So I got a helicopter to another, to a supply ship. I took the supply ship into Djibouti and spent a few days living in Djibouti um, until I could get a flight to Ethiopia and then from there to Rome and then to Philadelphia and then back to Seattle so I could check out and transfer across the country uh, to my next ship, which was based in Norfolk. Ultimately, that ship ended up deploying three months early, so I didn't really get that that six months in between, and that ship um, stayed out for 322 days, which is very long for a deployment at that point I had contacted my detailer to try to figure out what my next step was after um, the LHD that I was on and he said basically um, either you can go immediately to department head school because you're still behind in your career path and we need to there's like a, a year point like seven and a half years that you have until you have to be at department head school Um, So rather than going to shore, which would be the usual rotation, it would be department head school and straight back out on another ship. Um, Or you can get out, which made the decision sort of easy. So after that ship pulled in from deployment, pretty much I walked off the ship and into civilian
0: life. Sure, so lots of of experiences out there. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about the process of coming home and sure. what that experience was like for you.
1: Um, so that was, um, it was tough. Like I said, I, I, we pulled in. I went on a four-day liberty. Uh, I, I came back to get my things off the ship at the end of the long weekend um, and then went over to the office where they process your paperwork and made a photocopy of my voluminous medical record and it was basically sent Off to go on my terminal leave so um, while I was away I had told my husband I really want to be settled I want to have a house when we come back Uh, so he (laughs) went ahead I gave him power of attorney and uh, and I signed a lot of papers and faxed them back from when we were uh, in Fifth Fleet at the time which is uh, the Middle East North Africa basically or Middle East and Port of Africa Uh, and so I went from being at sea to coming home to a new city where I had never lived I've lived around Washington D.C. but I had never lived in the city itself Um, and a new neighborhood a brand new house that we had um, purchased while I was away Um, a new neighborhood where I knew nobody um and, I, and this decision that I was going to freelance as a writer with very little experience. Um, as, as a writer, I had, um, luckily, I had a cache of press releases that I had written while I was on my first ship. So I had at least the seed of some sort of resume. Um, mm-hmm. But no connections and no contacts that would lead to any sort of work. Which now, when I look back at it, I'm like, what was I thinking? Like I, And because I was deployed, a lot of the transition resources that are in place weren't really available, because usually, if you're getting ready to leave a ship or to um, leave the Navy, there's a whole like several-week class where they help you with your resume and they teach you how to dress for work situations because you've been in uniform probably since you left high school. You have no idea like, what's appropriate work attire or anything like that. Sure. Uh, they make sure that you have a plan with concrete steps on how you're going to achieve what you're hoping to do in the next, say, six months. I didn't do any of that and I kind of thought, oh, I don't need any of that. Cause I probably could have stuck around and, um, used some of my leave and gone to one of those classes. And I did not do that. So it was, uh, the first year I would say was fairly tough. Um, on top of which my husband and I, now that I was out of the Navy, um, I was just a reservist, uh, and an inactive reservist at that, we decided this is the perfect time to start a family. So on top of everything else, I was also pregnant with my first child.
0: Um,
1: So I just remember I spent a lot of time with my dog. Um, My husband was at work and the dog and I would hang out and I would try to figure out how to become a freelance writer, um, sitting with my dog in this house, in this neighborhood in a city that I did not know anyone. So that first year was rough. Um,
0: Yeah, I'm just imagining, you know, you you were on a ship with thousands of people, and now you're in in D.C. sort of relatively on your own.
1: Yeah, and I had only ever made friends as an adult through work, through the Navy. And and I had really lovely, wonderful friends on my last ship, especially. Um, Well, on my first ship, to be honest, too. I had a lot of of wonderful friends and I had no idea initially how to replicate that with no work and um, just no I didn't know how to get involved in my community the neighborhood that I'm in I'm now when I have friends that come visit that we're in the Navy and we walk five blocks to go to a restaurant and I see six or seven people I know on my way to the restaurant and they're just kind of like oh how did you meet all these people and I was like well let me tell you it was a long process to figure out how to meet all these people and honestly one of the things that helped a lot uh, besides getting involved in the arts community in DC which is very strong was having a kid because when you have a kid suddenly people will come up and talk to you Uh, and so they uh, my kids broke a lot of ice for me which was helpful um but not always, the, you know. Not always. You shouldn't just have a kid, and then everything will work out great. <laughs> of course, I, I don't well, recommend I that as experience. the process. <laughs> yeah.
0: But um, so that's really um, interesting to to hear that. It sounds like the art community helped helped you in this transition. Could you talk a little bit more about what sure. that looked like?
1: Um. Well, initially, I did end up in that first year. I did. I was able to. Um. Somebody who worked with my husband had done a little bit of freelance writing on the side. And she connected me with an editor. uh, And I started doing a few articles for the Daily Record, which is a newspaper up in Baltimore. And when that editor left for another organization, and she actually moved to D.C., she asked me, can you write technical stuff? Can you write about technology? And I was... You know, I, I, so I, sure, my resume says, okay, she has an English degree and a social anthropology degree, which doesn't scream technology. But I did have a Bachelor of Science in English. So I had taken chemistry and double E, uh, electrical engineering, all of these things. And then I had done a lot of engineering. So I was um, pretty confident. I was, yes, absolutely, I can write technology writing. Um, so that kind of gave me... Um, I think some bravery to start calling myself a writer and being a little more comfortable claiming that because I was actually writing things and I wasn't um, just thinking, oh, it would be so great to write things. I had done some fiction writing, um, started that while I was still serving, uh, but I didn't have a good sense of what to do with that. Um, After probably another year or so, um, I got connected into a large group of... um, Women writers here in DC. And that was um, really how I first got into the DC art scene, which is, I feel like people don't understand how many artists, writers, dancers, visual art, like painters live in D.C. D.C. is thought of as this government town with everybody's in suits and it's very <laughs> staid. Um, that's not the D.C. that I know or am a part of at all. Um, and in the process of getting involved in the art scene, I also found Armed Services Arts Partnership, which is an organization here in D.C. that provides free arts programming for veterans uh, active duty military reservists, military caregivers, like, and, and um, family members. So um, I've met people who work for the VA that are in these classes alongside veterans, alongside you know, people who are working at the Pentagon, alongside spouses or um, children of veterans. Um, and so between this, those two sort of Um, groups of artists I started to find my way into uh, opportunities to do readings around the area to workshop my work because it's very hard to know if you're doing something right in complete isolation Mm -hmm. you really need to have some people that you can trust that will read your things and say this part is strong I'm not sure what you meant here uh, I'm not sure how to fix this, but this part's working, this part's not. Um, all of those sorts of um, opportunities to see great um, writers uh, come and speak about their work, um, all of those things, I didn't know how how to access that stuff when I first arrived here. Uh, but having other people who are already in these communities that could help to guide me and and tell me about opportunities. D.C. has the highest per capita funding for artists of, I think, any state or territory in the U.S. Um, So And that's provided through the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. I didn't know about that for years. Once I started applying, I was able to get funding as a poet so the the city actually funds poets, visual artists, dancers, uh, theater people. Yeah, they that's they provide that funding so that you can pursue the work in a supported way, and that's not something that I would have known about if I didn't know, if, you know, if I hadn't met a poet who'd been in the D.C. poetry scene for fifteen years. Um, so, it, I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to overstate how important finding community was to sort of getting, finding my place um, outside of the military.
0: So, that's really helpful to hear about how getting connected to the DC scene really inspired you to get into writing and especially some of your poetry. So, tell us a little bit about uh, your work and how it how it connected or became connected to your veteran experiences
1: sure Um, initially when i was still in the service and i was taking a few online workshops and things i was really focused on fiction and i saw myself as a fiction writer primarily Uh, and that's what i worked on for a long time when i when i got out and uh, i was doing sort of this um, writing articles to help pay the bills, and then on the side, I was focusing on my creative work, and I was writing things I was making up. Um, And I had no intention of writing as a veteran. Um, I did not see that as my path. Um, I almost felt like if I say I'm a veteran, then people will think they have to pay attention to this work because of the person who's writing it, not the quality of the work itself. And I really worried about that. Um, And so I was focused on writing these short fiction pieces and sending them out. Um, And sort of two things kept happening with my work. One was the work kept getting shorter and um, more... Pushing more toward poetry, there I wrote a lot of flash fiction. Flash fiction is very short fiction, uh, but the the line sometimes between what's flash fiction and what's a prose poem, which is just a poem without line breaks, is kind of really subjective. Um, so I kept writing things that were more in the realm of prose poetry, uh, and then some days, one day I was like, oh, I can break i can write line breaks into this and control more how the reader works through it Mm. i was like i guess maybe i'm writing a poem here and the other thing that kept coming up was aspects from of my military service which i hadn't intended to write about but i would go to a workshop at one of our smithsonian museums um for example, the National Portrait Gallery hosts free writing workshops um, every once in a while. And I would go there, um, and we'd be looking at a piece of art and talking about different things. And um, and then I would write something, and it would be basically a prose poem directly from my military experience. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And it kept happening. Um, and so eventually I sort of realized... Um, I, I had to accept the fact that I had spent over a decade serving. That was a huge part of my adult life to date and that um, maybe I did need to engage with that experience. Um, and I, I did kind of wonder, okay, nothing really traumatic happened. You know, there was, I never was in a battle I never had a friend who was seriously injured or killed in front of me. Like, Does anybody really care that this veteran who came back like, more or less okay is writing about time in the service that was more or less okay? Like, um, and I just decided that because it kept coming up, I just had to deal with it. I had to write through it. Um, so. I also, as I said, I had this big file of um, press releases that I had written. And I had done that because I was trying to leave surface warfare and go into public affairs. I felt like that was maybe a better place for me. Um, Although I was, I will say, I think a fairly good surface warfare officer. I had, you know, I, I had good... They didn't want to let me go because they said... You could, you could keep doing this, and we would rather that you stayed in surface warfare than go to public affairs. But I, for a year, spent this process writing these articles that felt like not entirely honest. I remember one article in particular, one press release um, that I wrote about us spending Thanksgiving at sea. And I got all of these quotes from people, and people know what kind of quotes you're looking for when you go to them and you're like, how do you feel? I'm writing an an article for Navy.mil. How do you feel about being at sea for Thanksgiving? And they'll give you this very motivated answer, but the honest truth of it was that no one was happy about spending Thanksgiving at sea, you know, fighting pirates. I remember two of my friends, two junior officers that had decided to like run a marathon on the ship's treadmill because they just wanted to like something to distract them for the day, which people were not happy about because other people wanted to use that treadmill. We had like (laughs) one or two treadmills. Um, but, uh, so part of the work that I've done, um, was I took all 16 of those press releases And I took a big black marker, and I did the military's favorite thing. I did redacting, redaction on these articles, except instead of trying to um, make them safe for public consumption, not classified, which they never were. They were publicly available. um, I was trying to find little poems inside of the press releases. uh, And that project actually became my first... um, Chapbook of Poetry, Navy News Service, and that came out in the summer of 2018. Um, and so, th- so that was sort of, that felt like a reclamation of this work that I had done that had not led to something, led to what I had hoped it would. Um, but I, I got something, I think, in the long run, even better out of it. Um, so I, ha- I have to kind of credit those press releases and that urge to become a public affairs officer actually while I did not get to do that um, and I still think that would have been a a sort of fabulous um, career in the Navy it got me my start as a freelancer and it got me this first chapbook that I have been able to put out so I am still hoping to write a a full length um, collection of poetry and prose about my service, I don't really want to write a memoir Mm -hmm. um, but I think I would I would like to put together this work um, i 've been a little stalled out. I found um, the diaries that I kept while I was on my first ship, and i hadn 't remembered having them or keeping them when I read through them. I was sort of horrified by how um, miserable I apparently was, um, and that my brain had sort of closed down those it. memories. Okay. Like, I did not remem- I remembered it being hard. But manageable when I read back through things I had written there was not really anything interesting like oh we did this interesting operation today oh we accomplished this there was not a lot of positive it was just pages and pages of whoa is me and what have I gotten myself into and there's no escape and it was very painful for me to realize um, how unhappy I had been Um, and also to realize that if I hadn't kept those notebooks, I might've written, uh, something fundamentally dishonest about my service. Um, so working on a way to incorporate some of that into the manuscript, um, to make it sort of, um, a, a fuller picture of what was actually going on, um, with me at that time, um. But it was, it was a surprise, and I should have, I I knew intellectually that I was unhappy that first year and a half or so, uh, on my first ship, um, but I had forgotten what that felt like emotionally, mm. so which is amazing. Brains are amazing. Yeah,
0: so. it sounds like writing has helped you process through that so much, and I, I read your, um, the chap the book about taking the redactions from your public affairs, and I thought it was so creative, I thought it was so cool, and also help uh, force your eye to read it in a certain way, visually and spatially, with the way that, you know, some of the words came through and the rest were blacked out, and um, yeah, I just thought that was a really cool way to apply, you you know, your writing from in-service and then expanding on it.
1: And it was fun for me, because I got to design the cover as well, Um, and I was known on my second ship as sort of the officer who doodles because I'd sit in a lot of meetings. I was the basically the ship's scheduler, so I was managing schedule for all these people and making sure that everything got its own space that needed space and that we got the training that we needed and things. Um, I was called SICO, CIC officer, Combat Information Center officer, but everybody just calls you SICO and you're in charge of the calendar, which I... I don't know how they figured that out, but um, I, so every day I'd have to sit in this meeting with people and work out the schedule, and I had all of these doodles and drawings, and I would keep them, and uh, so then when I had to design my own cover, I was like, huh, I have a little bit of drawing skills. I'm not a brilliant drawer, but I can doodle something for the cover, so I got to do the cover as well, which was fun.
0: Very cool. Um, You touched a little bit as you were talking about how, you know, you had i guess a relatively normal or a you weren't sort of in combat and i was wondering what is that how did how did you take that from that or what did you take from that in terms of what it means to be a veteran
1: yeah i was really uncomfortable myself sort of claiming veteran status for a long time um and i think it goes to a couple of things um women often aren't seen as veterans, even if they served, and my, I mean, my grandmother served in World War II, she was a Marine, um, so I know, and I actually thought for years thought that the Marine Corps' motto was a few good men because it was the women's branch of the service, because all the the, my mom's cousin and my grandmother had been Marines, and they were women, and I I thought it was a few good men, like the men that were good enough to hang with the women Mm -hmm. um so uh so I when I the reality is very different um and I got out of the Naval Academy and um I went through this time and and then people it was like people people see you so differently when you get out um I remember going to I I will say an unnamed library here in DC um and I was like, I'm gonna go do research and write a story about pirates because that's something I know about. But I want to do more research. And I went to this unnamed library and ex- explained that I was a fiction writer and I wanted to do some research. Um, and I was and I was just wearing like jeans, and I was just treated really dismissively. And I was used to having being accorded a certain level of just baseline respect that comes with being in uniform uh, and it, I n- I've never gone back there,
0: this <laughs> so is not
1: the DC public library system, I love them uh, somewhere else but um, uh, so it was, at first I was trying to figure out is this even a label that I want to claim um, and you know I don't, I don't bear any physical scars from my time um obviously I mean I was unhappy um very unhappy at times uh but never um I never sort of we never we never had that grand naval engagement we never had um something truly traumatic and I was lucky nothing that nothing happened that defined my service through through trauma um but I, I've, I, I've come to claim it um, because I am proud of my service. Uh, I'm, I'm glad in retrospect that I went through what I did, um, that I got that experience, that I met the people I did who I would not have otherwise met. I mean, I even, I, I met my husband, I met my best friends uh, all through my time in the Navy. I, I don't know how my life would have been. I so I only applied to two schools. I had no idea. Um, most people that from my small town go to North Dakota has excellent um, public universities, and they and they and they don't want to leave home. And you know, and I get it. And you you go to the universities that are right there in, in the state. Um, and I knew that I wanted to go somewhere else. Sorry, mom and dad. Like, <laughs> I wanted to go somewhere else, and but I was—I didn't have a lot of um, a lot of guidance on what my options were. So I literally only applied to the Naval Academy and the University of Tulane. I've never been to Louisiana. Like, I—I I thought I heard it's the most European city new orleans is the most european city in in america and i was like sound it was like good enough for me i had no idea and i didn't apply anywhere else um and so and i thought you know if i get into the naval academy that's a sign and i'll go this is not a way that you should plan your life like oh just let the fate winds of fate decide what i'm what's going to happen it worked out um but but um you know i i don't know i totally lost my train of thought (laughs) now.
0: no i could just see how all these different things come together to change the direction of your life and it sounds like in some ways your military service is still this um, experience that you're unfolding and you're you're still working and writing through some of that
1: yeah i think um even just a lot of the markers you'll see. Um, my dad often wears. My dad's a naval veteran as well. He spent four years as an aviation bosun's mate, and he wears the, the dark blue ball cap. You know that a lot of veterans, um, especially I think Vietnam era veterans, wear. Um, and I just, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that he wears it. I just cannot imagine like wearing this hat that says whatever on the, on it. To me, like I don't see that as I feel um, very conspicuous if I just wear my class ring from the Naval Academy because it's kind of ridiculously large, um, which I think is sort of the point of it. Um, but I, I've only recently gotten to the point where I will sometimes wear it um, to different events and things. It's, um, I just yeah, and you know I, and I don't have like a sticker on my car or something, but then a lot of times at the same time when I meet somebody new, it's almost like I have to tell them that I served, like I have to work that into the conversation somehow. And I'm like, I guess this would be easier if I just wore the hat, and then I wouldn't have
0: right, to tell them. And it wouldn't have it to so be an much, awkward you know? conversation. Yeah, I think that's uh, like this idea that our, there's so much to our identity. We're not just identifying as one thing, but that I, I like the way you said you, you claimed your veteran status, and I really see how that uh, is impacting your, your writing.
1: Yeah, and even when I'm not writing directly about it, I'll find I, it comes up, it informs the way that I see people. Or um, I wrote one story where I gave a bunch of my experiences in the Navy to, I was writing, it was sort of a science fiction story, I was writing about this astronaut who's lost in space and I gave him a lot of my experiences and I'm like, why am I giving this guy all my experiences? Like, that's not right uh, I did love the story, how it turned out, and it was very important that the character be male for like everything to work out in the in the story, to in the way that I had written it, but I was like, ah like, that's, I did that, not this joker lost on his way to Mars or whatever, so um, it, yeah it's, I don't think that I'll ever be able to get away with it get away from it completely, uh, because it was a huge part of my life, and I've had to accept that um, that that's part of, it's part of me, and it's always going to be a part of my art even if, you, you know, and now and it'll probably take less of a less of the forefront as I, one, write my way through it, so that it's not it's not constantly in the background. But also, I'm on my you know next decade, and I'm getting new experiences that have nothing to do with the military, and and friends that aren't do not have a military background. Um, so you know I'm building up new experiences now that will hopefully. Um, allow me to have, you know, another another view of human nature, another uh, set of characters to draw on, and, and new experiences to write about.
0: That's exciting. Yeah. Um, and to to folks who may not have understood the military experience or that transition, is there a message or something you'd really like to share to make sure that uh, how how can people get a window into this experience? Um, you
1: know? there are if you're in washington dc one thing that i think uh is a great uh sort of chance for people and there and there's other organizations doing this but again armed services arts partnership creates so many opportunities for veterans to perform and creative writing is actually only one small part of what they do a lot of their program is focused around um Storytelling on stage, you know, like live storytelling, sort of like the Moth, um, and stand-up comedy and improv comedy. Um, so, if you want to hear, uh, if you're if you're ever nervous about talking to a combat veteran who has maybe gotten a physical injury or is suffering from PTSD, and you feel like I don't know how to talk to this person, well, you can go. To one of the many comedy shows that ASAP has set up around DC, and you can um, hear somebody make jokes about their their experiences, uh, which is a great icebreaker. You know, you you talk to people who um, have made the transition, who are willing and able and up on the stage sharing their stories. Those are great places to start, like great people to start with, um, because they're ready to talk about it. They're even, you know, and um, it it seems like people are people are really quick to come and say, like, thank you for your service. And it's, like, really somber. And you're like, I never want to say you're welcome. That seems like you're welcome for my service. No, like, so I'm always mm-hmm. usually like, oh, yeah, thank you. Um, but it doesn't have to be this sort of somber, like, I don't, there's such this strange duality where people either or sometimes at the same time think um, that service is like something that breaks you and it can but like most people get stuff from their service as well you get a chance to get great education, meet friends, travel Like it's amazing um, so there's this weird like that person is broken I can't talk to them or ask them about their service and also this weird like deification like these people are heroes um, which thank you like that's great I don't feel like a hero and I don't feel like I'm broken although I've changed from having served and I'm more than willing to tell you like the ridiculous stories of really stupid funny things that happened Um, I'm happy to share that like it's it's there's a reason that a lot of military movies that aren't super serious like combat films are satire and like filled with crazy jokes and things because a lot of it, a lot of service experiences are so absurd there's just, whenever you have that much bureaucracy and people in strange circumstances and all that pressure like it's a lot of people have funny stories to tell even the story uh stories from from people i've heard people tell jokes about like after they were shot five times and what the medic said to them you know and and that's like the setup for a joke and it's like you wouldn't think that that was the most hilarious moment of somebody's um, life but they have this like whole you know comedy set around it um So I think that's one opportunity in D.C. certainly, and um, ASAP also works in Hampton Roads, Virginia, so you can also go see shows down there. Um, You know, there are great a lot of veterans writing about their experiences um, and trying to make the experience less opaque, Um, especially if you don't have a family member who served. It can be really hard to know, like, just the lingo even in this podcast i've struggled to be like okay how do i say this like so it's more accessible but people understand when i say um when i introduce myself as a surface warfare officer former surface warfare officer i'll usually say so i drove warships for a living like uh-huh. because nobody knows what surface surface warfare sounds sort of I don't know grandiose and also maybe mythological like mm-hmm. triton with you know I no, like I and and then I'll be like and so when I say I drove warships I actually like told somebody else what to say to somebody else so that they could steer because there's like three wow. people who are and then a whole separate person to control the engine sometimes depending it's like so trying to um I know I really want to break down some of those barriers, uh, but I can't just, I'm not going to, like, come up to you and pound you over the head to, like, tell you what I did. Um, But I want to talk about it, and I want to share, and I think most veterans are happy to share, and it's not, you know, we don't have this sort of, like, demigod view of ourselves. You know, it's, it's an important job, and it's, And it's a noble profession, but at the end of the day, it's also a job. A lot of people join because it's a good way to pay for college. Uh, It's steady employment. And, you know, and I I think that sort of the, um, like, deification of veterans is a problem because it puts up even more barriers to understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, So I... I think, you know, if you want, if you have a question, ask. Most people that go into the military have a fairly thick skin. Um, if you ask a question they don't want to answer, they'll say, I don't want to answer that. I'm not, you know, you could be a little sensitive, but, like, people are going to be willing to talk. So um, I think not being afraid to ask is, um, would be a huge thing, you know, and not, and not just saying... Thank you for your service, and that be the end of the conversation. Um, like, what are you thanking them for? Think about like, what is service? There's the military is huge, and we have whole different branches that are completely different culturally. Um, even even the difference between um, submariners and surface warfare officers in the Navy and, and nuclear surface warfare officers. Those are huge differences. Um, they change your career path. They change your outlook it changes who you work with like it's you can you can you can delve into that a little bit more than just saying you know if you want to know more like you don't have to stop with just sort of a platitude you can definitely ask questions or or just you know tell me more like what would you like to know
0: such great insights yeah thanks for sharing that and for sharing your perspective here with us today jackie um you know, It's really been eye-opening, and, and like you said, these stories are, are out there. Just come to ASAP or look online, find, find this writing, and I think it helps break down, like you said, this mystique, this opacity to what it is like to serve in the military and how those experiences shape your life. And so I just, again, want to thank you for, for being here with us thank today. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It's been fun to talk.
0: Cool. All right. Well, uh, that's going to wind it down for today. Um, We really appreciate you all for joining us. And, you know, we're going to link to some of Jackie's work so you can take a closer look and read through it some some of it yourself. We, of course, invite any comments or questions or uh, feedback uh, about anything we've talked about today. And until next time, join us for more podcasts on important work in veterans and suicide prevention and resilience and living and well-being.